Good morning. Okay, let's, uh, let's pray and let's get into what God has for us today. Uh, he challenged me this week in a way that I was not expecting. Because, as most of you know, I pretty much have arrived and have figured it all out. And um, he reminded me that, well, let's just, let's just get into it. God, I want to thank you for your grace and your mercy. I want to thank you that... Uh, thank you that you love us so much and you're so gentle and you desire for us to grow in our faith and you desire us to walk in your anointing. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the story of David. Lord, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. All right. The story of David begins with John 18, 36 through 37. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would not fight, or I'm sorry, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus is being questioned by Pilate. And he is making this very big statement. That he has a kingdom. And that's, that's a big deal in this day and age because having your own kingdom can get you in a lot of trouble. It has its disadvantages. And for Jesus, it's going to actually get him in a little trouble. It's going to get him in trouble with the Jewish leaders and it can get him in trouble with Rome. But see, it's, it's, it's not only the fact that he is claiming this kingdom, it's the facts that he's talking about this kingdom with. That it's, it's something different. It's, it's a different kind. It can't be defined in, in the world's terms. It can't be defined in, in human terms. It transcends all of our thoughts and our, our ideas. In fact, it doesn't fit into any mold that kingdoms of, of Jesus' day and even kingdoms of today fit into. Because it's other. It's different. It's, it's a godly kingdom. And in fact... Christ's kingdom isn't connected to this world at all. Not even, not even a little bit. It goes beyond anything that we could think of. And then he goes on to say, if it looked like something that you're used to, I would have my own army. And my own army would keep me from being arrested. And I, and I kind of thought about that. Could you imagine the army of Jesus Just one angel in the Bible comes down and people hit the floor. Could you imagine Jesus' army? But he doesn't need an army. He doesn't need an army from, from men, from fighting men. Because his kingdom doesn't get its strength or its power from here. God never has needed the help of human hands And the Lord, our God, will establish this kingdom here on earth in its entirety. In his time, with his plan, he will not be a minute early. He will not be a minute late. 
And he will do it with us or he will do it without us. Even if it looks like things are going wrong, even if it looks like God is going kind of slow or this isn't working out, it's going perfectly to his plan. Nothing can thwart God's plan to establish his kingdom here on earth. And this is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about. And so Pilate says, so Jesus, you're you're king, huh? And Jesus, I mean, really, in, in layman's terms, what Jesus says is, well, Pilate, you know, I really didn't say that. But since you said it that way, I can't say no. God's kingdom is a very, very different from what the world would define as a kingdom. And, you know, I'm always constantly amazed at the way God builds and the way he establishes and the way he works because he builds and he establishes and he works in spite of us. God works in spite of us. In fact, if he didn't work in that way, he would get nothing done because humans have a way of ruining things without even really trying. And so if God didn't work in spite of us, he would pretty much be hosed. Like nothing would go right because if he had to wait for us to get it right, to get it together, to get on the same page, nothing would happen. And as we, as we look into this morning David's story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I believe that not only does God work in spite of us, there are times that God desires for us, for him to work instead of us. That God wants to work instead of us working. And it's a very interesting concept if you think about it. Okay, we understand that he works in spite of us. But there are times that God says, you know what? I don't need you to do anything for me. Shut up. Sit down. Listen, I'm going to take care of this. And so let's get into the David story where this just kind of fleshes itself out. Chapter 7, we find David... He's in a really good place. Things are going really well for David. Like he, he's, he's just won all these military battles. He, he has defeated his enemies. At least everything is kind of on the quiet side. He's united all of God's people into one kingdom. He has, he, he has built his own city. He's taken Jerusalem. It is now called the city of David. And the topper of all toppers, he has moved the ark to Jerusalem. Not Noah's ark, but the ark of the covenants. The sacred holy symbol of the Lord, their God, our God, is now in Jerusalem. And, and this is going to separate David from Saul big time. Because David's focus is always on God. God's reign. God is in control. And that's very different from Saul. Very different. David might be king, but God reigns in his kingdom. And that's a very different posture from what Saul would live. And David is constantly... Everything about him points to God, his entire life. And so he's always pointing people to the Lord, his God. Look at what God is doing. Look at, we have, he's, he is seated high on the throne. Everything about David is pointing people to the Lord. And if we allow ourselves to be pulled into his story, into his life, you can begin to see as you read through First uh, Samuel, Second Samuel, that the kingdom we're talking about is not your status quo as usual kingdom. 
It's something very different. God is establishing something different. It's, it's different from what the world political stage would be setting up in this time, and even, even David's time. There's not one person calling the shots in this kingdom. There's not a few people calling the shots. Nobody is setting the tone, but God is setting the tone. The Lord reigns and he's in control and at this point in david's life he is alive and he's aware of that truth it's his everyday life that god is in control and man i you know if if i if i did that whole patron saint thing i would choose david because i just love the way he kind of just goes with with his his kinghood he doesn't follow the rules i love a person who doesn't follow the rules we have shirked the rules as a as a as a church ever since we started not in a bad way just just we don't fit into a nice neat box and david does the same thing he is not king as usual using the same type of kingly rules to rule his kingdom the way all of the other kings would he's just kind of thrown the whole kingly job description right in the garbage and on a personal level he's not arrogant he's not prideful he has the authority of the king he has the blessing of god but yet he doesn't lord it over his people he's not a jerk to them david is not your typical king especially in this day and age he transcends what a king should be and for him god is in first place for him it's the most important thing. And you see that throughout his words and the things that he does. If you spend any time in the Psalms, you're going to see this over and over and over again. David writing about the sovereignty of God, who God is, and what God has done. It, and, and he just talks about that, that nothing in all of creation is not his. He has created it all. And, and, and everything is his. And, and oceans fall back and mountains bow down. And he's from all eternity. And so David prayed and David worshipped. And he was very aware of the presence of the Lord with him and with his people. But you see, by the time we get to chapter 7 in 2 Samuel, there is trouble brewing. All of this great stuff is happening. But there's trouble brewing. And, and the God awareness of the entire nation is in danger. Idolatry is knocking at the door already and things things have the potential to go very very bad and what what really just kind of surprises me is david is the culprit david is setting himself up for a huge oops for 20 years ish he's been living this hard life in the wilderness depending on god Finally, after 20 years of just trying to figure all this stuff out, the shepherd who is anointed in front of his family, the, the king has been realized now. And David has come to power. He is ruling God's people. And he's so thankful and he's so grateful for what God has done and the journey that God has brought him on. But there's trouble brewing. And so let's begin our journey with David and 2 Samuel 7. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. No, go back. Keep it on now. Stay right there. So here is King David, 
overflowing with thankfulness, gratitude, and love, so much so that David now wants to do something for God. He wants to bless the Lord. He is living in a king's palace, and the ark of God is in a tent. David is living in luxury, and the ark of God is in a tent, and this will not do. The Lord needs a house, a temple, a sanctuary, and it needs to be big and sacred and glorious and represent the holiness of who God is. And David is just the guy to do it. He is going to build it. And it flows from this desire in his heart to to show love to God, to honor him, and to have the people to honor God. And he goes to Nathan, the prophet, who is really, Nathan is David's pastor. And Nathan tells him, "Do do whatever you need to do, Dave. The Lord is with you. It's a great idea. And you know, I, I got to say, as I think about this, we pastors love those conversations. We love those conversations where people move from a place of, of receiving to a place of, of giving. I mean, when we hear those conversations, it's, it's like we hear the angelic voices come from heaven. Oh, we get this warm, fuzzy light that glows around us and it feels good and it feels comforting. As a pastor, any pastor, we spend a lot of time with people who are in need of something from God. And you know why? Because we all are in need of something from God. We all are all of the time. But very few people will come into my office, make an appointment, and come in and sit down and say, Dennis, I just want to tell you I am doing great. In fact, life is awesome. I don't need anything. I don't want anything. God and I, we're we're tight. I mean, honestly, I think I've arrived. I mean, every prayer that I pray, he answers exactly the way I ask it. And in fact, you're not going to believe this. I know this sounds weird, Dennis, but I think I saw him. The Lord. I walked into Walmart and he was standing there and he greeted me and he gave my child a sticker. I just know the way he looked at me. It was the Lord. Those conversations don't happen very often. They're far and few between if, if ever. And so we as pastors, we pray for people and we pray with people. And I'm going to tell you this. It's, it's a privilege to come alongside people in that way. To be invited into into the intimacy of the relationship with God. I gladly take part in that journey. Because I believe that us coming to God for help is probably the, the most honest, humble posture that we can ever have. Because no one in this room, including myself, in any part of our lives, have arrived where we don't need God anymore. God, I got this. I'm good. No one has has reached that point in their life. And if you really think that, you're, quote, a theological concept, you're dumb. No one has arrived. We all need God in everything. Every second of every minute of every hour of every day of every week of every month of every single year, we need the Lord our God. And we need his help. 
and we need his, his love. And the Bible tells us over and over again that we're to come to him and pray. We're to seek. We're to knock. We're to ask. We're to harass him. Make a list. Bring your request. Let them be known. And Jesus, Jesus, when his disciples taught him, uh, when, he, when his disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray, six times Jesus would, would use a request to ask God of something. And you know what's interesting in the Lord's Prayer? There's not one single thank you. It's all recognizing who God is and asking. And so as pastors, we're called, part of our calling is to join people in their journey for asking God to help them. As even I need the Lord's help, David spent 20 years asking God for help. And now he's come to this place where he wants to do. He wants to do something for the Lord. And his pastor's like, rock on, man. A, a house for God? That's how we do it. That's how we roll. But then there's a hiccup in the giddy-up. Nathan goes home and he prays. And God speaks to him. And this is what the Lord would say. That night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says. Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in a house from the day I, I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I have been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have cut off all your enemies before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did at the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I will also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build my house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by men, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Nathan reported to David all the words of this entire revelation. David gets the red light. He gets the don't pass go, don't collect the 200 bucks, you just stay put. And so all of this gratitude and thankfulness that's welling up inside of David, all that he wants to do, it's all built up. And then he gets to go ahead, but which is just a little tease, because then again, the go ahead gets pulled back and Nathan says, yeah, you know what? Yeah, Dave, not so much. 
God said, God said, no. I prayed about it and he, he said, no. Sometimes on our journey of faith, we get incredible ideas to do incredible things for God. And they come from a good place. They come from our heart. They come from thankfulness and, and gratitude. But those same plans for us, those same plans that we have to do for God can actually be damaging because they can take our fo- focus off of what God is doing for us. David wanted to build for the Lord and the Lord said, oh, nay, nay, David, I am going to build for you. It's the Lord who establishes. It's the Lord who creates and it's the Lord who will build. God is saying, Dave, you're missing the point here. I know you want me in a house, but I am going to build a house for you, David. I am going to build for you. See, the kingdom that God is establishing, isn't, it's breaking all of the rules of, of kingdom establishment. And God is always stressing the truth that it's not what we can do for him. It's always what God is going to do for us. And it would be better if we would begin to understand that, including Israel's greatest king, King David. See, if David got to building and he called in the contractors and he got every and all the carpenters there, then people would naturally get kind of caught up in the whole building project and get excited about this whole building project. And the danger would be that they would begin to miss what God was doing in them, for them, and even, and even through them. And how often does this hold true for church world today? How often do we get caught up in our stuff, in our programs, in our expansion? We want to create, and we want to shape, and we want to build, and we want to do this for the Lord. We want to do this for the Lord's people. We want to do this so we, could, we can bring people in and introduce them to God. And that comes from a place of, of honesty and love and gratitude and thankfulness what God is doing. Now, let me, let me just say this. A building program or projects, they're not a bad thing. God says, listen, Dave, you're not going to do it. Your son's going to do it. And we know that Solomon will build an amazing temple, but not for David. God has work to do in David and in his people. He is going to be the one that's going to build. And it's so, so easy for us to get caught up in doing for the Lord that we miss out what he wants to do for us and in us. The Lord doesn't need us to build him a house. <laughs> he doesn't need it. He wants to build us into a house, a spiritual house, a royal priesthood, a place where the world can see and experience his salvation and his redemption and his love and his healing. That's why we're called his people. That's why we're called by his name. That's why we've, we come together in this community and we call ourselves a church. That we would point our attention and people's attention to him and not call that attention on ourselves. See, God knew David was in a lot of trouble right now. He was in a lot of trouble. He was, he was in trouble of losing his focus. And he was going to begin to focus on something that was going to be very, very destructive. He would change his focus from the Lord to himself and what he can do. David actually believes he has it better than God, that he is sitting prettier than the Lord. The Lord is in a tent and I am, I am in the king's palace. He thinks he's got it better. And the strong king of Israel is now going to help this ailing weak God raise his own standard of living. It's comical when we think of it that way. 
That we can raise God's standard of living. And God, through Nathan, is going to put a stop to it because he does not want to lose David to David like he lost Saul to Saul. And then the most important line of this story, the most important verse of this story. In fact, I would argue that it's the, the most important verse in David's entire story is this. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord. Last week, David danced. This week, David sits. This is huge. This is momentous. Because even though the Lord said stop, David could have kept right on going, man. David could have just said, you know what, Nathan? You must have heard wrong. I don't care what you have to say. I just think God needs a really nice house. But instead, David sat. He didn't question Nathan. He didn't doubt him. You see, and that's what can happen when we believe that the Lord needs us, that we know better than him and that we can carry out something better than he, he can do. We, we fall into this disobedience, but David didn't go there. David sat before the Lord and he prayed. And it's an amazing prayer. And I want to encourage you to read it, the rest of chapter seven. He gives up control. He's the king. He's the king. He has the power and the authority to do anything that he wants. He's the king. And if a king begins a building project, everybody gets behind that because he's the king. And if the king wants to build a temple to the living God, a sanctuary for the living God, the people are just going to be like, yes, this is a godly king. This is a good king. And there would have been, there wouldn't, nobody would have even batted an eye to say that David was making a mistake. In fact, Nathan, his own pastor said, this sounds good, Dave, go do it. Until the Lord spoke. And instead of building, David went in and sat and he gave up his own quest for significance in the world's eyes. And he chose obedience to the Lord. He sat and he prayed. And I, just, I don't have the slide up here, but I just want to Read you the way he starts it. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and he said, Who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this were not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you've also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. What more can I say to you? For you know your servant, sovereign Lord. For the sake of your word and according to your will, you have done this great thing and made it known to your servants. David sat and David prayed. And you know, as I've been studying this, this, um, this story this week and I've been reading you know, what a bunch of people have written about it and I've just kind of been letting it marinate, I've come to this firm belief that what we do not do for God is just as important sometimes as what we do for him. See, it's so easy to get caught up. I mean, especially for me as a pastor, it's so easy to get, to get caught up and desire to do things for the Lord. It's so easy for me to outpace what God might be doing. It's easy to make my desires and our desires the center of our, of our attention instead of making God the center of our attention. And it's, it's I, I, 
deep down, man, I, I want God to build us as a house. I mean, that's what I want, but my humanness gets, gets in there, and sometimes I just I get off on the wrong track. And so I, this is where I believe that we could learn and mimic David. That when we have that desire, we have that idea, when we have this incredible plan to do incredible things for God, that we would sit down and be quiet and pray and see what God would say. See, as David sat there, as David gives up control, it's not him being lazy. It's not him throwing in the towel. It's not him just giving up and saying, whatever God's going to do, whatever God's going to do, I have no part in this. It's not that at all. David is trading in what he wants. David is trading in what he thought was correct for what God wanted. He postured himself in such a way where now God could work. His man-made plans were placed at the throne and they were given up and given over. When David sat, I really believe that the real work began because now he has opened his hands and released it to God. There are way too many people and way too many churches that get caught up in executing their plans for God and they forget about him altogether because what they want becomes so important. You know, we've just celebrated five years as a church and I've been praying, God, what are our next steps? What are our next steps? I met with people this week. I told them, you know, I have this holy discontentment. You know, I, I just, what, what are, what's our next steps? What are we going to do? And I've been praying that way. And I've realized just this past week that I've been praying the wrong prayer. That our prayer as a community should be, God, what is your next step? What is your next move as a church? Not what is our next step, but what is yours? God, what do you want to do in us and through us? I want to allow God to build his kingdom. I don't want Oasis to build our kingdom and try to get God to come and join us in ours. I want him to build in us and through us, in spite of us, instead of us. I'm asking you, if you would pray for your church, God, what are your next steps? What are you doing here? Eugene Peterson would write, he, he, and I'm paraphrasing, but he would say that a church's best intentions can get them into the most trouble. And so I think it's for a season, let's sit for a while and pray. I want to invite you guys to come on the first Wednesday of the month and sit with us and pray. We have a handful of people. We have a whole lot more in our church that we would see what God is going to do. What are his next steps? I don't want our best intentions to get us in a whole lot of trouble. I've had enough trouble in my life. Lord, I want to thank you for your word and for the revelation of your word.
and how it works in the souls of your people. And so, Lord, we come before you with a collective release of our desire and plan. And we want you to show us your next steps. We praise you and we love you, God. In the name of Jesus, amen. I love you all. I will see you next week.